Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Lisa Qualls to the show for part one of their discussion on a parent's perspective on trust-based relational intervention. Part two will be released on Tuesday, March 16th. Hey everybody, it's Karen Buckwalter here from Chaddock. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. So my guest for today is Lisa Qualls, and she recently co-authored a book, uh, The Connected Child, uh, with the late Karen Purvis. It was a project that they were working on throughout Karen's illness and uh ended up being able to finish. So something that's really special about the book is it's one of the final things that Dr. Purvis um, contributed to. And I want to tell you a little bit about Lisa. She's the parent of 12 children by birth and adoption and sometimes uh, has other children in her home through foster care. She also has a blog called One Thankful Mom, and she's often a speaker at events for foster and adoptive parents. And she wanted to write this book with Dr. Purvis to kind of look at from a parent perspective, how she has implemented TBRI in her family. So again, it's called The Connected Parent, Real Life Strategies for Building Trust and Attachment. And I'm looking forward to sharing this interview with you. Join the Knowledge Center for an experiential workshop designed to support successful engagement of parents in the child therapy process. Karen Doyle Buckwalter will be joined by Daphna Lender for the other half of the equation, engaging parents in child therapy. This two-day workshop on April 28th and 29th will focus on how to identify parents who need more focused work, how to set goals for the parent, how to help parents initiate relationship repair, and more areas to help the child, parent, and therapist get the most out of the therapy session. Registration is now open. For more information or to register for the workshop, head to tkcchaddock.org. So Lisa, hi, and welcome to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Well, hello, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so it's so good to be able to talk with you. And I know you have this book out, The Connected Parent, uh, that you co-authored with Karen Purvis. Uh, And I shared with listeners before you hopped on that this was during her illness. And, you know, one of the final things that she contributed to and wrote about. So that's a special gift. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah, it really is. It's it's actually an amazing honor, you know, to have shared in this her final written work. You know, I just I I hold it with a lot of responsibility and a lot of gratitude. Yeah, yeah. So um, you wrote this book with her. Do you want to, could you share with listeners a little, and, and you're obviously writing from the perspective of a foster, adoptive, and biological parent, so you're coming at, you're, you're not coming at this from a, the perspective of a clinician, um, but, you know, I think this is such an important piece that we have to have is, like, 
what is the application of clinical practices in day-to-day life? Because if we can't make that leap from what we're saying in, in, in a book or in therapy to what this means minute by minute with our child, we're not going to get very far. Right. And that was really the impetus for this book. I mean, we adopted uh, basically four children in a short period of time, all from Ethiopia. And we had been parents for 20 years. We felt pretty confident. You know, we did a fair bit of reading and training and felt pretty sure that we were up for the task, you know. And when we brought our kids home, it was really incredibly hard. They were very traumatized children. And I don't think any of that surprised us. We were prepared for them. I mean, of course, after all that they had been through, they ranged our oldest daughter that we brought home was 10, and then five and a half, and then two, and then a baby who was five months old. And um, so we weren't surprised. But I think what surprised us was how long healing took. And continues to take. You know, I think for some of my children, this is a lifelong journey of healing. And so we never came to a point where we got back to any kind of normal. That that family that we were had really kind of disappeared and we became a whole new family. We had to learn an entirely new way to parent, even though we'd been parents for 20 years. And that's really where Dr. Purvis came in when we were in the depth of crisis, trying desperately to find help. I Someone recommended uh, The Connected Child to me. And, you know, it came out in 2007, which is the year our kids came home. I think it's 2007. And um, I remember reading it and thinking, okay, there's so much here I can learn and hold on to. And then I watched three short videos of Dr. Purvis speaking. And that's when so much of it came alive for me because, you know, she was a, such a gifted teacher. And what I heard from her was not just knowledge, but I heard hope. And we were really at a point where we were losing hope, where we weren't sure how we were going to survive as a family. But she had hope for my kids. And I think Russ and I just grabbed onto her hope and we dove deep into connected parenting and just learned all we could. And then eventually through my writing, I connected with her more professionally and I was able to speak with her. And then we, I came up with this idea for the book and talked to her about it. And that's how it all began. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Good. Well, you know, um, one of the things that you write about in this book that I really appreciated, and I think it is so important is understanding your own history too. So not just the history of the child, um, but what in your own history are you bringing to bear in this relationship in terms of, you know, ways this child could trigger you or, you know, ways that um, you're feeling maybe rejected or something by this child and, and what that could bring up from your own history. And one of the things that you say is um, we could unknowingly be giving our children certain messages. So you say, explore the messages you're giving to your child by how you parent. And so I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that. Cause I think we're often so good at thinking about, 
the history of the child, but what about your own history? Could you share a little bit about that? Yes. You know, I, I want to go back to the beginning of when I first began hearing that. I don't think I heard that until we'd been parent, parenting our, you know, adopted children for a while. And then more conversation was starting to happen about it. And at that point, we were struggling so much that what I heard, it was not what was being said, but what I heard was that maybe I was the problem. You know, and it was so, I was already feeling so defeated. Everything I had believed about myself, about that I was a really good mom and that I could do this really hard job of parenting children with so much early adversity. I felt kind of crushed by this. And so when we wrote about it in the book, we tried to be very gentle toward parents that, you know, the truth is, every important relationship we enter in our lives, we bring ourselves. You know, it's not just parenting, it's marriage, it's all of the deepest, most important relationships. We're bringing ourselves, we're bringing our own history of our childhood. And so once I began to explore it with more self-compassion, then I could learn. I couldn't really learn when I was so overwhelmed, you know, but um, we both, Russ and I, had the privilege of becoming TBRI practitioners. And of course, we took the adult attachment interview as part of that training. That was very, very eye-opening for me. And I think it began some of my own journey of exploring my childhood and maybe understanding more about my own parents and how Russ and I, what we were bringing together. And through that, I think one of the best gifts was I began to understand what it was that triggered these feelings that I would feel sometimes when I was interacting with my kids. And why was I feeling so much fear in certain circumstances? You know, it all went back, I think, to my you know, my very early attachment relationships. The other thing that's been really interesting is learning about attachment and marriage. I have really strong, uh, I have a very strong interest in that and really some, I, I just think it's extremely important. Let me put it that way. So okay. yeah, we, we bring ourselves, we bring our history and it's not bad. You know, it's not like um, if you have this kind of attachment style, you're a good person. If you have that kind, you're a bad person or a good parent or a bad parent. No, we are all coming to this. And some of us are going to have more healing work to do. You know, I have more healing work to do than my husband. And that's okay, you know, because we can support each other in that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of our listeners are clinicians. And I'm really wondering about, I think there is this part about not wanting parents to feel blamed, but also really wanting parents to know this matters. This matters immensely. Um, this is contrib- This is one of the, this is the number one way that will predict how you were parented how you parent is how you were parented, you know? And so, you know, how you said you tried to be really gentle about it in the book. I'm wondering what you would have to say about how to approach that with parents in a way that they can receive it. I think what we needed to hear and we did hear from some clinicians is we are on your team we are on your side. We want to help you, you know, be 
as connected with your child as possible. And so we're going to explore this together. And again, to offer so much, I think, nurture and compassion. I think clinicians often don't realize how incredibly influential their words are to parents, you know, and clinicians who can nurture their clients and come to them as their partners. It's incredibly healing for the parent. And I think it, it calms our nervous systems. You had to have someone say, Hey, I'm walking alongside you. I'm not pointing a finger at you at all. I'm with you in this. And we're going to explore this together and help you figure out just what these things are that, that we can process to help you parent this child who's coming to you after experiencing so many hard things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Um, you know, another, another thing that you talk about in this book that I felt was so important was this idea that, and I, I think of it partly ties into implicit memory and experiences that children hold inside of them that they just react to just like we were just like grownups hold implicit memories that we're unaware of that create reactions. Um, but you talk about helping parents to understand, even though a child may not look fearful or, you know, our home is safe now. You know, I have so many families where they want to just tell children with words, you know, you're safe now. And they have a really hard time understanding like why, why are they having all of these re these uh, trauma reactions when they're safe now? And so, and you talk about this in the book that, you know, I, I guess in a way, I feel like you talk about it. There's much more than meets the eye going on with these children. You have to look deeper. So to, I, I would like you to share a little bit about your journey of understanding that. Well, I think the thing that, really struck us is, you know, we had learned about felt safety, increasing sense yes. of felt safety and all of that. And we were doing the things we knew. But the more we got to know our children, the more we began to understand that the things that created deep fear in them were different. You know, different children, because of their early experiences, had different um, uh, kind of triggers that, of, that would create so much fear. And so... We had to be really curious about our kids and about their behaviors. And, you know, our kids who were old enough, we could try to ask some questions, you know, like, would it help you if we did this? But really, we had to experiment a lot. And one of my daughters in particular had significant food trauma and um, from just so much deprivation and, and abuse. And um, she was very malnourished. And so having access to food was extremely important for her. Now, that wasn't so important for one of my other children, you know, but for this one child, it made all the difference in how safe she felt. And so we developed a whole plan to try to meet those needs. I always tell parents, you have to run ahead of the need. Once you know something that your child is going to need, get ahead of it, because if we wait for it to hit, 
it's it's too late. Our kids can be just gone in a second, you know, from regulated to dysregulated. And so, you know, with her, we were super strategic about food, um, putting little bags of beef jerky in her jacket pocket for her to eat during recess, always packing a snack for after school pickup because the stress of the transition from school to car, car to home, it was just too much if she didn't have some food in her and her blood sugar wasn't already stabilized. So we just got really, really good at paying attention to that deep, deep need that made her feel safe when we kept that need met. Whereas with one of my other children, uh, she really more than anything wanted a lot of physical proximity with me. She felt safest when she was very, very close to me. And so I had to be really conscious of, of keeping her close and allowing her to stay close, you know, where before I adopted, where my kids, you know, all had secure attachment, I could tell the kids more easily, look, this is mommy's time in the kitchen, everybody go do something else. Well, with this child, I had to be willing to say, you stay with me, you stay close, help me with this, you know. So we just explored with our kids, um, what it was that they needed to feel safe. And then we tried to provide it to the best of our ability. Mm -hmm. One of the things I noticed as you share about this in the book, and I think this is just so such an important concept that each child it's different. That's why we can't give like this list of 10 things that you should do for for children that'll work with, with each one. But there was a way that you seem to really embrace this rather than get overwhelmed by it. You know, embrace, like you talk about becoming a detective and trying to figure this out and what would be most helpful for this child um, because it's different than your other child. And, you know, some parents are so overwhelmed and burned out and tired. How did you keep up the energy to remain curious and adaptable? Well, probably very imperfectly, actually, you know, Uh, and two things, well, probably more than two, but my husband was really in it with me. Like I, I couldn't have done it without his help, you know, because it was so much. I mean, at the time that we brought our kids home, we had 11 kids at home and even really healthy, well-attached kids have needs, you know, so it wasn't like only our four new children had needs. They all had needs. And we always say, you know, so many needs, so little mom, you know, there's just only so much we can do. So he, we were a good team and that helped. We also, sought help from other people and we established some regular respite for one of our kids with the highest needs and I don't mean like respite where she went away for weekends I mean respite where like a friend picked her up from school every Wednesday and took her home for the whole afternoon and until after dinner so those sorts of things began to give us more capacity to stay open and curious good professional help too I mean a good Trauma-informed therapist is an unbelievable gift to a family. And we traveled really far to work with ours, but she was very, very worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think was most helpful about therapy for you guys? Again, going back to a, a lot of listeners, our therapists who listen to this, what, what 
what made her worth driving so far? Hmm. Well, first of all, she approached Russ and I in such a compassionate, nurturing way. And so she disarmed our fear, right? Mm -hmm. You know, she, because by the time we got to her, we were exhausted and overwhelmed and felt like our lives had fallen apart. And maybe we had even ruined our family, you know? And so she approached us with so much compassion and she definitely made us feel we are on this journey together. I'm with you in this. I, we never, I can't remember one time ever feeling criticized by her. I mean, she, she'd call us out to do better, you know, but I never felt judged, not once, by her. And I think that put us in a space where we could, we felt supported and we could learn new things and we could try new things. And then the way she worked with our kids was just, she was extremely gifted. I mean, she, she would draw as she worked with them. She was just amazing. Yeah. So, but some, one of the main things is you felt compassion and a lack of judgment from the therapist that, that you guys Absolutely. were a team that she had ideas to do things maybe differently, but that it was in a supportive way to you guys. Yes. I mean, she would even drop in just little bits of self-care, you know, like Lisa, this week, I want you to tell the kids you're taking a coffee break. And for 10 minutes, I want you to sit down with a cup of tea, sit where they can see you, but they need to try to learn to let you have 10 minutes, you know? Oh, I love and, that sit where they can see you though. That's yeah. so important for so yeah. many kids. Um, right. Yeah. Cause if we go shut a door, that's just going to bring up so much fear in some of our kids. So, um, and when things were at their very hardest, she said, Russ, you need to go away for 24 hours. And that br I was like, I, I can't function for 24 hours. I don't think, I mean, things are so hard, but she helped us explore how to make that happen. And we did do it. And so she, she mixed in, even though she was sort of our kids therapist, she really was all of our therapists, you know, and she, she gave us ways and she gave us permission to take care of ourselves, you know, where a lot of other information we got in is that you need to do this, you need to do more of this, you need to go to this kind of person and do that and just add heaping on more and more appointments. And she was like, okay, actually, you have to be able to breathe because you can't parent in complete depletion. And so, yeah, she was just a gift, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it sounds like also you had to have, and, and this is what is so hard for so many parents is having a support system that allowed you to do that. Yes. Because so many parents are like, I don't have anyone to do respite at all, or I, I'm no longer even in connection with some of my own family members because they don't understand this. And, you know, we can't go to church or synagogue or wherever we go because our kids are so out of control. So that's mm -hmm. a that support system piece. Well, and I think one of the things that's hard for us as parents is we have to be willing to change our lives. I mean, our life and family changed so much that we actually left the church we've been part of for 10 years and found a church that was more flexible, that our kids could fit in better. And that was a big loss for us at the time. But we had to be willing, you know, to just 
open ourselves up to so many changes. We had been a homeschooling family and we learned that for two of our children, having me as both teacher and mom was not good. They needed to go to school and learn from someone else because the hard work of having a mom that was just having a mom was so hard, you know, for them that combining that together didn't work. And so for the very first time in our entire parenting, school became part of our lives. And again, that felt like a loss at the time, not because we weren't completely confident that the school would educate our children well, but because, you know, it was our our way of being in the world as a family. It was our lifestyle, I guess, homeschooling. And so it just requires flexibility, but with that flexibility, we were able to bring more people onto our support team for our kids because then we had teachers, we had a youth pastor, we had children's ministry people. So it, um, those changes brought, it broadened our world and broadened our circle of support too. Yeah, I think, Lisa, what you're saying is so important in that I think many times we have this view of how the family is going to be and we expect the children to then fit into that. And, and what, (laughs) and what I hear you saying is we have to let go of some of those things. It's even some that were very important things to us, a part of maybe our identity of who we are as a family and part of our identity in terms of our faith life. What, I guess, what do you say to parents that are like, I'm not doing that. Like, they're going to have to adapt. This is what we do. Well, a couple things. I think flexibility is so important for parents. And of course, we know that the more out of control life feels, the more we tend to grasp for control. So that is going to be hard for parents when they're really activated and, you know, Uh, dysregulated on their own. But um, when we can help parents see that learning new ways of thinking and new ways of parenting will actually make life much, much better, then I think people begin to open up. I think we also really have to give parents permission to grieve. You know, we're all supposed to be, this is such a, adoption, such a beautiful thing. And, you know, people have t-shirts to say adoption rocks and all this stuff. Okay, that's great. But actually adoption, we know it begins with loss. And for families who thought life was going to look a certain way, there is a lot of loss. Might be the term that comes to mind, right? I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah, a little bit. Or even just that we have this beautiful family. We're going to bring these children into this beautiful family. And instead, we became a very broken family who then had to grow into a new kind of beautiful. You know, I I remember Russ saying once it was like we were on this path and we we thought we were going to scoop up our children and bring them into this journey and we were going to continue down this path together. And in fact, we had to move to an entirely different path. We had to take our whole family in a new direction. And there was grief for our children. You know, our kids at that point, our oldest was 20 and our youngest was four. And our older kids were really shaken by how much our family changed. But in time, every single one of them has said, I like who we've become. We're, we're a different family and 
our world is so much bigger. We're so much more accepting. And it's affected my adult kids' careers and all kinds of things. So it, it reshaped us completely. Yeah. Hmm. That's so good. That's really good to hear you share about that. Well, and the gifts for my kids of learning about connected parenting and learning about early childhood trauma. I mean, my teen daughter would get letters sent to the city because she was such a fantastic swim instructor because she knew how to calm children's fears, you know, and people would request her, but it was because she understood that she had to build trust with these children and she had to learn, she knew how to kind of disarm some of their fears. So, I mean, it, it really gave my kids a lot of gifts and, but there was a lot of heart along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Because really a lot of these practices aren't, are good for any child, right? It doesn't. Oh, absolutely. So I I know that's one of the things in, in the book that, um, you know, we released recently raising the challenging child was really written to as a general parenting book, you know, not this is for adoptive parents or this is, you know, children who have trauma in their history or children with attachment. It was just like a lot of this is just really relevant for parenting in general. Oh, absolutely. Russ and I, somewhere along the line after our TBRI practitioner training, I remember both of us saying, gosh, we wish we'd parented all of our kids this way. You know, we parented our older kids in a very traditional way that we learned in the church. And, um, you know, it worked because our kids had so much trust in us and they had secure attachment, but we could have done it so much better, (laughs) you know, and with so much more compassion and yeah I I wish we could do it differently Mm -hmm. I mean could have obviously we can't redo it but they're amazing people I mean our our adult kids are really such a joy yeah well um I am looking forward to part two of this discussion. Um, And so um, listeners, I'm going to be back um, with Lisa uh, next week for part two of the discussion. And this has been great so far. Um, Lisa and I look forward to continuing to talk. Thank you. I look forward to it too. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.